Talk 1110-993 WBT. Pete Callender here. Uh, just watching the jury in the Kyle Rittenhouse trial has some questions for the court. So they're asking that in the courtroom right now. They are still deliberating as far as I can tell. So uh, don't worry, though. Leftists uh, are standing at the ready with their mostly peaceful bats and Molotov cocktails just in case there's an acquittal. All right. So. Uh, Let me shift gears, though. There is a connection here, um, and it's the media, which is a piece at the National Review, nationalreview.com by David Hersanyi. He is a senior writer. He is also the author of a new book, which, uh, by the way, Christmas is here. The book is called Eurotrash, Why America Must Reject the Failed Ideas of a Dying Continent. And, David, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm well. Thanks for having me. Certainly. So your piece at National Review headlined, uh, there will be no media reckoning over the Steele dossier. And this, uh, you're, you're responding to Axios, everyone's favorite website, um, that there is some sort of reckoning going on in the media over their coverage of the Steele dossier. Um, you're not holding your breath. Safe to say? No, I, I'm not holding my breath because... Um, well, first of all, I, I would say that it's almost irrelevant anyway, even if there was a reckoning, because the damage has been done, and they they knew that when it was happening. So, you know, after the fact, it's not going to mean much. But more than that, of course, not a single person who who participated in this thing has, has faced the music. Um, the Washington Post retracted, or didn't even retract, corrected, I guess, some of their reporting. But, you know... It, it, a real reckoning would mean investigating how you got these things wrong, why the sources lied to you, which sources lied to you, um, and then explaining what happened. But the reporters who did this stuff have never, won't even answer any queries. So, I mean, they're supposed to be, they're journalists. That's what they do. They ask questions and they should be open to answering them, but they haven't. You write, it's one of the most egregious journalistic efforts, uh, errors, rather, in modern history. Well, uh, sorry, Sarah Fisher wrote that at Axios, that it's one of the most egregious journalistic errors, and the media's response has so far been tepid. So the first question I have is, uh, is it actually an error? Do you think these were errors? As you read that, I was thinking to myself, I should have noted that it's not, I don't know that they were errors. I mean, Listen, I believe, I don't have evidence in my hands, but I believe that there were journalists who participated in this, knowing fully, knowing fully, fully that it was a partisan um, document, that it was likely to be untrue, and they wanted to bring down the president. There's nothing wrong with wanting to bring down a president. That's a good, good, good inclination for a journalist to want to do, but they need to have actual evidence to support whatever they're accusing the president of, which they didn't have. So I don't think it was an error, no. And and I should say that because they haven't explained what happened, because they refuse to explain what happened, it tells me that it wasn't an error, that it was something they participated in or where they would share the information. One of the things you mentioned also is outing the fraudulent sources should be part of uh, of whatever the reckoning looks like. And I've been saying this from the beginning. Like, I don't understand. You're a former journalist uh, as well. You're a columnist now, opinion guy, but you used to be a reporter. I used to be a reporter. And if a source gave me bad info to this extent, uh, I guess to your point, proving it's not an error, but I would be so mad at the source, I would burn them. I mean, I I don't understand why you wouldn't out these people as peddling lies and using you to launder them. Right. You can't even really refer to them as a source anymore because it's not as if 
some source gave you some kind of information that could have been read in certain ways or they themselves didn't understand it. It's clear that these were the same sources and it's clear that they repeatedly told you things that were untrue. Um, you know, I don't want to get into all the specific stories, but let's just say there were stories that had supposedly two, two independent sources telling them the exact wrong date, which is impossible. These are people who are lying to you. Now, as a reporter, every reporter can't wait to be arrested for, like, not writing out a source, right? Like, they pretend <laughs> that that's a hardship, but they actually want to be martyred. Yes. So, yeah, so you don't give up sources because that ruins your reputation. No one will ever speak to you again. On the lowest, you know, on the most local level, that's true. But these are not sources anymore. These are people who misled you, supposedly. Right, and then wouldn't the story be, how did these two people come to coordinate their message in order to plant it in your news publication? Seems to me like that would be a newsworthy story. Yeah, Yeah. and there's two things here. There's one is the media and why no one trusts them. Um, And that's a problem because it creates this void where where other sources come in who are are also not reliable and people start believing them, and that's a problem. And the other part of this is there was a – it was the FBI spied on the opposition campaign, and they and the media helped them get away with it. It was essentially worse than anything. You know, it was worse. I, I hate saying worse than Watergate, but it was. I mean, this is like the government participated in undermining the elected. I mean, I'm sorry, bureaucracies participated in undermining the elected government of the United States. You have to like Donald Trump to see that that's true. And having that, it's almost like having a shadow government. It's really a dangerous thing. And no one, no, you know, the media didn't care. And they don't care even still. Yeah, and I've never liked the term deep state because it sounds too, I don't know, fictional. Conspiratorial. Yeah, I know what it sounds like when I say it, and I hate saying it. But, like, honestly, how do you say it's something other than that when you're presented with this evidence? Um, You say their most charitable explanation is reporters had become such saps for the Democrats uh, that they would just believe anything that uh, they said. The uh, the more plausible explanation, considering the lack of any genuine accountability and self-reflection, is that they were in on it. Now, is there a third option here, which is that they're just like morons? Is that like a possibility? (laughs) They're just like our elite media is just idiots. Yeah, you should never, never uh, set that uh, possibility aside. I think that that's always the case. I think with some of them it is the case, with some of them it's not. Um, they, you know, listen, I'm in D.C., right? I mean, I think journalists live in a bubble, and they, sell, they reinforce these things among themselves, and then the hysteria over Russia, it was, it's just to look back now, it's, you wonder how it even could happen. But uh, I think that they, they're in such a bubble that they just, they're on Twitter, they're reinforcing each other's craziness, and they just move forward. Um, and there's an aspect, another aspect of this is the sort of sanctimonious uh, framing and positioning of themselves as defenders of democracy while they're helping the, the F, you know, secretive uh, intelligence agencies spy on the opposition campaigns, undermining elected officials. It seems like a very weird uh, position, you know, claim to make or, or you know, self-hero worship, I guess. I don't really even know how to explain it. And so your final question you ask in the piece, channeling Hillary Clinton what here. What difference at this point does it make? Right. What difference at this point does it make? Yeah, well, it makes a difference on a number of levels. But one I think I mentioned was that we have to correct the historical record. Democrats, or I would say like progressives at least, or I hate to call them liberals anymore, you know, they're very good at uh, reframing history or, you know, winning, retroactively winning an argument or changing an argument. And, uh, 
you know, to allow them to move, for us just to move forward. These, these stories still exist. They're still out there. They're the historical record, most of them, and they're just untrue. They're based on a complete lie. Um, and not everything, all these lies came from the Steele dossier themselves, but they're spawned from that paranoia and hysteria. There was this uh, historian the other day, I forget what his name, Ricks, I think, and he said something like, you know, if you believe that there were no, there was, American cities were burning last summer, then you must be a Russian dupe or something like people still use this Russia thing uh, to dismiss legitimate debate. And it, it just infected everything uh, in our in our in our rhetoric. So it needs to be correct. The historical record needs to be corrected so that that doesn't go on. Yeah. David Harsani, senior writer at National Review, nationalreview.com. Also pick up his book. Give it to all of your friends and family this Christmas season. Eurotrash is the name of it. Why America must reject the failed ideas of a dying continent. David, thanks so much for your time, sir. We appreciate it. Good to catch up with you. Thank you. Thanks for having me. A reminder that Hancock's Bikes for Kids, 28 years we've been collecting bicycles and giving them to kids for kids first. Hancock, uh, he may be, you know, not on the air doing his daily show anymore. He is still on the air uh, doing his his segments with Bo in the mornings. He's also still doing his Gotta Minutes, and uh, he's still doing the bike drive. So coming up Tuesday, December 7th, you got plenty of time. Go out, get your hands on a bicycle, and uh, then pay for it, obviously. And uh, then bring it on down to Bank of America Stadium, where we, along with the Carolina Panthers, WSOC-TV, are going to be collecting the bikes for the kids with the supply chain stuff going on. Uh, If you see a bike, take a bike. I think that's what uh, everyone is advising at this point. See something, take something, right? Hancock's Bikes for Kids. Go to WBT.com and get all of the details there. Um, so let's see here. Mr. Bill Gruskin. Gruskin. He's a professor of professional practice and a former academic dean at the Columbia Journalism School. He had a piece, an op-ed, in the New York Times. And the headline of this is that the Steele dossier indicted the media. Now, don't get me wrong. This guy is a lefty. And there are parts of this op-ed that goes on for like four pages for some reason. But it um, it it is obvious that he is of the left. He is not a, a Trumper. But he takes a very dim view of the way the media behaved with the Steele dossier. And by the way, continues to do so, right? Like, the, as you heard from David Hersani from National Review... Like the the fallout is still with us. We are still living through it. It's there. There are stories right now that people believe to be true that are not, and they were manufactured out of the poop storm that was the Steele dossier. January tenth, twenty seventeen, right after the inauguration. That is when BuzzFeed published the thirty five page memo, the Steele dossier. It gave. No hard evidence or any specific detail, but BuzzFeed said that it had circulated at the highest levels of the U.S. government and had acquired a kind of legendary status among journalists, lawmakers, and intelligence officials. I've said this for many, many years when I first started, actually when I 
Christy and I started dating. This was back in 05. And I said, because uh, she used to watch uh, soap operas. She doesn't any longer. Uh, but I said, you know, I don't watch soap operas. I watch politics, which is very much like a soap opera, except it matters. And this is a perfect example of it. These ideas, this these these rumors were circulating and all of the journalists and all of these lawmakers and Intel officials, they, they all were spreading the gossip around. And it was all based on lies. And then Jim Comey, head of the FBI, goes in to, quote, brief the president, a defensive briefing, which then, of course, launders that information because now he can then leak it to the media that he went and gave a defensive briefing to the president. That then opens the door for the details of the briefing, right? This is how it occurred. This is something, by the way, that the intelligence agencies have done for a very long time. I'm going to get into that, too. Any caveats, even BuzzFeed's own opening description of the allegations as explosive but unverified, could be dismissed as kind of, you know, an obligatory cautiousness, right? That's the way it comes across when it's like, hey, just a heads up, none of this is confirmed, but let me go on for 35 pages talking about hookers in hotels urinating on beds, right? Now, it's been largely discredited by two federal investigations and the indictment of a key source, leaving journalists to reckon how, in the heat of competition, so many were taken in so easily because the dossier seemed to confirm what they already suspected. So the question I have is, is that really the believable excuse here? That this was in the heat of competition, they were all just racing to get it first, and that's why maybe they cut some corners, you know, like believing completely made-up allegations. Is that really the most believable explanation? That they were motivated by a desire to get it first? I don't buy it. For a number of reasons. For a number of reasons. News Talk 1110-993 WBT, the Pete Callender Show. You can call in at 704-570-1110-1800 WBT-1110. You can also email Pete at the Pete Callender Show. Um, or hit me up on Twitter at Pete Callender. So, you've just seen this, that uh, the QAnon shaman guy from the January 6th riots at the Capitol, uh, just got sentenced after ser- after being held in solitary confinement for 10 months. He was just sentenced to three and a half years in prison. Despite not having violently attacked anybody or done any kind of damage. Um, and Glenn Greenwald uh, points out on Twitter that the criminal justice reform advocates are cheering. Funny, isn't it? Yeah. How when it's somebody they don't like, then it's totally fine to lock people up and throw away the key. Not a lot of judicial reform activists weighing in on the uh, QAnon shaman ruling today, or sentencing, I should say. So, all right, back to this, uh, which, by the way, that's connected to this story, too. The Steele dossier spawned the January 6th riot. It's all, it's all a direct line. I mean, this isn't, an, it's not a conspiracy to say this, like, That's what journalism is about is you look at the chain of events and you look at the way people behave and you try to track 
uh, uh, fallout and reactions and the belief that the election was stolen after being told for four years that the president was a Russian asset and that turned out not to be true pretty early on. A lot of people knew that was not true. By the way, I was one who said, let the Mueller investigation, uh, you know, continue, let it let it proceed. There were people like, oh, no, shut it down. I said, no, I like the only way to get to the bottom of this is to have some sort of probe. And what did we find out? Well, nothing about the P tape. Still dossiers garbage. And uh, this fella, Bill Gruskin, professor of professional practice and former academic dean at the Columbia Journalism School, wrote an op-ed in the New York Times saying over over time, the standards for proof diminished to the point that if something couldn't be proved false, the assumption was that it was probably true. Catch the, the, I mean, the distinction there. Things were assumed to be true if they could not prove it to be false. They've essentially inverted the burden of proof. And yes, that's a courtroom burden, but for journalists you don't just automatically assume something is true you trust but verify if you cannot verify you don't publish msnbc's rachel maddow said a number of the elements remain sorry i need to do she said a number of the elements remain neither verified nor proven false but so none so far have been publicly disproven i don't know why she enunciates like that she over enunciates it's very distracting but, but that sums up this inversion of the standard. Journalists uh, would also take Mr. Trump's other serious misdeeds and then tie them to the dossier. And this is how you got the connection of Stormy Daniels and you know him having the affair with the porn star is obviously proof that he paid hookers to pee on a bed. No, that's not proof. And I was like, am I taking crazy pills? What's happening here? Why would people think that the one thing proves the other? Oh, well, what do you think? Are you defending him and having an affair? No, but that's a separate thing. And by the way, you guys were the ones who told me that his personal life is different than his professional life. That's your standard. I remember when you set it up. Bill Clinton, Monica Lewinsky, there's a whole movie being made about it or being broadcast right now about it, too. Um. This month, a primary source of Mr. Steele's was arrested and charged with lying to the FBI about how he obtained information that appeared in the dossier. Prosecutors say the source, Igor Danchenko, did not, as the Wall Street Journal first reported, did not get his information from a self-proclaimed real estate partner of Mr. Trump's. That prompted a statement promising further examination from the Wall Street Journal and something far more significant from the Washington Post's executive editor, Sally Busby. She took a step that's almost unheard of, removing large chunks of erroneous articles from 2017 and 2019, as well as an offending video, and putting them into the memory hole. All right, I added that last part. Right, it's, That's their correction. Our bad, all those stories we told that were based on lies and supposedly confirmed by independent sources with direct knowledge of the situation. Yeah, the, the, we're just going to we're just going to get rid of those. So nobody will ever be able to see how we put our well, not just our thumbs, but maybe like our whole arms and torsos on the scale. 
Gruskin goes on to say there's no doubt that Mr. Trump had long curried Mr. Putin's favor and that he and his family were eager to do business in Russia. Right. This was one of the things when people would point this to me. And this is one of the reasons why, like, there were there were signs. This is what a lot of defenders of Trump fail to acknowledge. um, And I think it undermines their defense of Trump, actually, which is that, yes, Donald Trump had ties in Russia because he wanted to build what like a hotel or something there. Right. He had land dealings and such. So denying that there was some efforts there to, you know, grease the skids is all developers want to do in Russia, which I assume you have to do if you're going to get anything built anywhere in Russia. Also, the Russians interfered in the 2016 campaign, in the election. They targeted various computer systems, right? They had, Charlotte was a site for one of these, right? There was some group, some Facebook group, what was it called? Um, Black Matters or something like that. Uh, it was like a, it was like a, a reordering of the uh, the words Black Lives Matter, and they they changed it around, and they ended up getting a bunch of money and organizational efforts to put on some protest in Charlotte. Yeah, that was a Russian front. So, yes, they they actively engaged in election meddling. Now, why did they do that? Democrats believe that it's they wanted Donald Trump to win. Okay, which is, I guess that's a plausible explanation. Here's another explanation. They don't care who wins. They just want chaos because more chaos benefits them, the Russians. Also, I find it hard to believe that they were totally opposed to Hillary Clinton winning. She of the great reset button. Remember that diplomatic failure when she showed up in Russia like, oh, here's a big red easy button. Oh, no, I'm sorry. It's not the easy button from Target. It's the reset. So we're going to reset. Ha ha ha. And then the Russian ambassador guy, whatever. And he was like, no, no, no. That means like surrender or something like that. I don't remember. But like the... The Russian reset. That was Hillary Clinton to try to normalize relations and improve relations with Russia after, you know, mean old George W. Bush called him part of the axis of evil. So that was the guy the Russians or uh, that was the candidate that the Russians were so worried would win. Please. So, yes, the Russians did attempt to meddle in the election. Also, Trump went ahead and put Paul Manafort in charge. And Paul Manafort did a lot of dealings over in Ukraine with the pro-Russia candidate. These were all warning signs. That doesn't mean that Donald Trump was a Russian asset, though. Those things don't prove that he paid hookers to pee on a bed. So I'm uh, looking at Fox News, and it says, Soon, Rittenhouse jury to return to courtroom. Don't know what it means. None of the other media outlets are reporting it. I've got the YouTube live feed pulled up, and uh, they're just on their sort of placeholder screen. So there isn't any kind of live feed coming from the courtroom except on Fox, and the jury's not back. Oh, no, never mind. Oh, that's the earlier. He's picking out the juror names. They're running B-roll, really, down there, and you got live up in that corner. That's not cool, man. All right, so we'll keep you uh, posted. We'll keep monitoring if they come back with a decision. Um, then uh, 
We obviously will carry it live if we can. If possible, we have the audio feeds. Uh, well, I've got one, so we'll see what happens. <laughs> we'll try to fly by the seat of our pants. We'll endeavor to bring it to you. I will not say efforting because it's not a word. Um, all right, so back to this is uh, to, to, to do Bill Gruskin in a, uh, an op-ed at the New York Times headline, The Steel Dossier Indicts the Media. And he talks about how journalists... Um, you know, may have been rushing to try and get it first and the, the the pressures of competition, the heat of competition. Is that why so many people were so easily taken in? And then, of course, you know, Donald Trump, he was just this bad guy. He did all these bad things and some of these other things. Like, so you can't really trust him. Um, and he talks about how, you know, like everybody around Trump, uh, they were all liars and so you couldn't trust anybody. They had to deal with the fact that a lot of these denials came from confirmed liars, so you can't trust them. Uh, and then, you know, the the connections with the Russians, like where he was trying to do a deal in Moscow with a hotel and Paul Manafort, and the Russians did try to meddle in the election. So all of that obviously proves he's an asset. So let's just, you know, err on the side of calling the president a Russian asset. Right. This is This is him trying to, like, give every benefit of the doubt to every single reporter over the last five years that peddled this lie. He says the situation became complicated because some reporters simply didn't like or trust Mr. Trump or did not want to appear to be on his side. Why would that matter? Why would it matter if you appear to be on his side? Just as a journalist, why would that matter? You did a story, solid reporting, it's the truth, and now people are like, well, I don't want to report that because it might look like I'm on his side. Who would you be worried about that perception taking hold with? Other reporters. Yeah. But he doesn't say that part. Um, Trump had been berating journalists as charlatans while seeking their acclaim, calling on legislators to open up our libel laws to make it easier to sue news organizations and launching personal attacks, especially on female reporters of color. <sighs> Trump attacked everybody who attacked him. Anyway, in a perfect world, journalists would treat people that they don't like the same way they would treat those that they do like. But this is not a perfect world. As the former Times reporter Barry Meyer writes in his book, Spooked, plenty of reporters were skeptical of the dossier, but they hesitated to dismiss it because they did not want to look like they were carrying water for Trump or his cronies. Interesting. That doesn't sound like a journalistic standard that they were all abiding. He says news organizations uncritically amplified the Steele dossier. Uh, the ones that did ought to come to terms with their records sooner or later. Oh, I need to correct something I said. It was uh, it was Staples, not Target, that had the easy button. My bad. My bad. When Hillary went and met with the uh, the Russian guy Lavrov, I think was his name. Let me see here. Do, 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 do. Uh, yeah, the Russian Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov, Madam Secretary, presented the. Normally dour Slavic diplomat with a red plastic button. And it was supposed to say reset. But Lavrov noted what it actually said was overcharge. Overcharge. Because it wasn't written in like the 
Cyrillic alphabet or something? What difference at this point does it make? Fair point. Fair, fair. Okay, moving on. Newsrooms that can muster an independent, thorough examination of how they handle the Steele dossier story will do their audience and themselves a big favor. They can also scrutinize whether by focusing so heavily on the dossier, they help distract public attention from Mr. Trump's actual misconduct. There you go. I told you the guy was a lefty, right? So in his view, the focus on the Steele dossier meant that reporters weren't able to focus on the really important stuff. Okay. Then there is this by Eli Lake at Bloomberg.com. This was from a couple of days ago. Was the FBI manipulated by the Democratic Party? Now, I would add to that headline. Or were they willing participants? Like, to me, it's more likely that these were Democrats with bylines. And if they weren't straight-up Democrats with bylines, uh, that they're actually working with our intelligence agencies. Oh, my gosh, Pete, you sound like a conspiracy theorist. Actually, not so much. It's actually not so not so much. They're... This is standard operating procedure for, for example, the CIA. And I know what that sounds like, but I didn't do it. I'm not the CIA. Or am I? No, I am not the CIA. But the CIA will use reporters in order to put information out into the public realm. And this is done in a number of different ways. I've got the rundown here. We can go through. Um so that, that remains open. I think there are certain people, uh, what's his face, uh, Delan- uh, uh, Delanian, Ken, I think is his first name for NBC News. He's been all around the place. He says he has an affiliation or something like that or a relationship with the CIA. So, like, he's, yeah, like, he puts out stuff the CIA wants to put out. And it's an interesting, uh, it's an interesting marriage the political left has now with the Intel community in advancing this kind of stuff. They used to be the ones that were totally on guard against it, but I guess it, it, I guess all of that goes away when you have the, uh, the white house. So Eli Lake writes at Bloomberg that John Durham, the U S attorney appointed in 2019 by bill Barr, the attorney general at the time to investigate the origins of the FBI's investigation into Russian interference has finally begun to show his hand. And it doesn't look good for either the FBI or the Democratic Party. He indicted a former Brookings Institution researcher named Igor Denchenko on five counts of lying to the FBI. Denchenko was the primary source for the Steele dossier. The document set the media and the Democratic Party narrative for the first two and a half years of Trump's presidency. It was crucial evidence that the FBI used in the FISA court to get a warrant to monitor a Trump campaign aid. That's why it matters. The fallout is still with us. More on that after the news. 